challenging was it to get subscribers and people to view the show? I mean, did you have a strategic plan behind that? Or I didn't have a strategic plan, but because it's Birmingham-focused, people are more likely to just share it. Because you might mention their favorite restaurant or you might mention yeah. the coffee shop they go to every morning. Yeah. And they're like, oh, they're talking about this. Like, this is really local. You know, like these people live here, too. They're yeah. talking about something that we all have in common. So it spreads like wildfire around Birmingham. Well, and that's, that's really honestly um, the Dwayne Moore impact is we kind of get more off involved and like like you were saying earlier you know coming up you know we got a Birmingham attorney that does a lot of things with marketing and billboards and TV commercials coming on to talk about his Who services Steve Mazzarino okay you know then of course Jeremiah Castile which is the chaplain at the University of Alabama you know on the, for the football team you know he's coming on to share his days of winning three championships with Coach Bryan as a coach and now winning six championships, you know, with Coach Saban as a chaplain, you know, and we're looking at doing things like that in order, like you say, to create a buzz about, you know, I think if we can ever figure out a way to Zoom Katie Britt in, you know, we'll Zoom her in from Capitol Hill and cast that visual of us being on a Zoom together on the podcast, just talking about what's up and coming, you know, on Capitol. So it's things like that. We're trying to be creative, you know. Yeah, that's a huge thing that I've wanted to do as well is Zoom people in. But so yeah. far, I've only done in person just yeah. because, you know, it is a different feel. Like when yeah. you can sit here and actually connect with someone Absolutely. and the video, it has a different feel to it. Yeah. But you can get you know, a wider range of guests who yeah. may not be local or they may have be too busy to actually come to your spot. So yeah, yeah. it makes a lot of sense to zoom people in. Yeah. I mean, I, what gave me the idea, because like I said, I do a lot of Newsmax stuff and how, what do you, you do with Newsmax? Just talk about politics. And cause I, I worked Katie Britt campaign the mm -hmm. whole 17 months. And so now I do a lot with the GOP when it relates to, you know, grassroots efforts. And so, you know, being able to work alongside our chairman, John Wall, it, it gives me a platform even, you know, Newsmax to talk about like the transitioning of the campaign and, you know, going in at the Senate and now looking at, OK, what's next, you know, in grassroots efforts. So that kind of segue me into my brand, you know, because so what is next? So as far as for Dwayne Moore. Well, that and yeah. GOP, you know, you're kind of you, well, you've worked on them up until now, and then you're yeah. talking about what's next. So, what, yeah. what what are some things that are brewing? Well, the biggest thing right now is just you know we got uh, former President Trump that's coming to Montgomery on August the fourth. Oh yeah, that's going to be a big night for the GOP that um, finalizes going to our summer convention. You know, and so you know. Uh, that's going to be huge. And so shortly after that, you know, of course, we'll start going into the 2024 primaries. And so when you talk about grassroots efforts, we got 67 counties, 169 cities. And so on the GOP side of thing, we got to push more grassroots efforts to get out into these communities and help individuals understand that the Republican Party is for all people, you know, because there's been a huge misconception, you know, when it relates to, um, you know, who the Republican Party is for. You know, some people say the Republican Party is only for rich people. It's only for, you know, so <laughs> the Republican Party is only for white people, you know, and so, you no, know, the Republican Party is for everybody. Yeah. You know, but, you know, most of the time when you say Christian conservative values and views, you know, how do you align 
yourself with the values of the party. Most people don't align themselves with the values of the party. So if you don't align yourself with the values of the party, then you automatically assume that the party is not for you. And so that's really what's next is really getting out and educating different communities about the 2024 primaries leading up to the election. Who are some of the communities that you work with most frequently? I do more stuff in Shelby and Jefferson. Probably because I live within, you know, both of those communities where I'm at on Highway 280. You know, you go to one side of 280 and, you know, you're on Jefferson, another side of 280. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's one part of 280 you're driving through. You hit Homewood, then you hit Vestavia, then you hit Hoover, yeah. then you hit Chelsea, all within that oh, yeah. one road. And it's, it's kind of close to go. 280 is unique in that way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, within campaign, you all 67 counties. I mean, you tip the tip. I mean, you all the way from the wire grass to the shoals. You know, so down to the Gulf Coast, back to rural Alabama, inner city Alabama, you know, so you all over the place. So there's not one county I haven't been in, but, you know, in which now what we're doing with Dwayne Moore Impact and the brand that, you know, we're birthing and refining myself to really get back out in those communities, getting the opportunity to really see a lot of those communities, which we call our heart to reach communities because not much going on there. If I start throwing places like Dayville, Alabama, uh, Greenville, Alabama, Uniontown, Alabama, you're like, where in the world is that? You know, and those are your heart to reach communities. But for me to go back and look at, well, what does the model look like? When I go places, they said, man, I never met a college football player. Man, I've never met a pro basketball player. I've never met like an actor. I've never met like, you know, and you're like, well, what are you looking up to? TV? What are you looking up to? Social media? Yeah. I feel when I say we have a responsibility for people who say they're going to be true pioneers of influence, you know, what is the model? And so you look at the high percentage of individuals who mirror their image based off of the perception of others. What are those kids looking at? Because if I go down to the corner store, who is that model that I'm mirroring my life behind now? What does that individual have that really attracts me to him? What could that be? Could that be money? I mean, because most of the time when we see, like, if I go to one side of town, the inner city, and I look at a 14-year-old and I, and I ask that 14-year-old, hey, what's in the future for you? Most of them are going to say something like, oh, I either want to be a pro athlete or I want to be a rapper or I want to be, you know, an actor or actress. They never say things like, I want to be an engineer. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be a writer. Never hear those type things. But then when you start to ask yourself the question, why is this? How many times we're promoting doctors on TV? Yeah, I'm so seeing professions or <laughs> careers that are kind of romanticized within the media, and they're saying, I want to be that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, I always think in terms of grassroots efforts. What can I reach out and touch? So I'm being completely honest with you because I've, I've walked the scene for the last two years of my life being on campaign. There are some kids that don't go in doctor's offices. Hmm. They only read about doctors in school because their parents, are majority, when you get down really inner city Alabama, whether that be Huntsville, whether that be Mobile or Birmingham, you know, wherever that inner city is at, you know, when you start asking kids, do you know the difference between an eye doctor and a dentist? Most of them just, one is a teeth doctor, one is eye. But I'm saying, if you really start throwing it out there, like, you know, okay, do you know what an ophthalmologist is? You start throwing a kid looking at you like you're speaking Greek. Yeah. You know, and, and so you're like, well, when the last time you went to the dentist? Never been. So, so really, what can I reach out and touch?
I just want to let you know something about Discover Birmingham's partner, Dr. Chase Horton Real Estate with EXP Realty. That's right, I'm talking about my business. Are you, or someone you know, considering buying or selling a home within the next six months? If so, let's chat. With their permission, simply send me their name and number and I'll reach out to talk about the best way to achieve their real estate goal. Whether they're a first-time home buyer or they're selling a home they've cherished for 30 years, I've got them covered. Simply text HOME to 205-213-9720. More cash, more capital, and new customers for your business. That's where Moxie comes in. Moxie Birmingham is a growing community of small businesses helping one another thrive. As a Moxie member, you earn more revenue from brand new customers and even get a no interest, no payment line of credit, all within the Moxie network. As a Moxie member myself, I can tell you that I choose to support other businesses that also accept Moxie. In fact, I've discovered some of my very favorite restaurants healthcare practitioners, and home and auto service businesses through Moxie. I'm talking Soho Social, Heavenly Donuts, Nothing But Cakes, just to name a few. Go to moxiebirmingham.com, that's M-O-X-E-Y-B-H-A-M.com to learn more. Moxie, it's the smarter way to barter. All right, now let's jump back into today's episode of the Discover Birmingham podcast and highlight the best parts of our awesome city. Crazy and ironic story. I, I say this all the time. I say, hey, I'm at this school. Won't call the school. I'm not big on calling schools because sometimes when you're in media, people ask the question like, well, man, you know, why'd you throw my school out there? Yeah, yeah. So I go to the school. I'm asking this group of kids. Hey, what's your dreams? Kid was like, I don't have no dream. I didn't have no dreams last night. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm not asking you, like, what did you dream about? Like, what are you dreaming? What are you inspiring to be? So I get get this kid. He said, hey, man, I want to be a combat man. I said, a combat man? I said, okay, 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 I got you. I was like, Army, Navy, you know, Air Force. He's looking at me strange, like, huh? What is this guy talking about? And I'm like, yeah, service, man. That's what you just told me you want to be. He was like, no. He's like, I'm talking about the guy on the back of the garbage truck that said, come on back. I want to be that guy. Wow. Because that's what he can reach out and touch. Yeah. That's what he he sees. Exactly. So so I'm here. I'm thinking of come back, like, you know, frontline military infantry comeback, man. Yeah. And he's like, no. Come back. You know, I want to be the come back, the guy that's on the back of the dump truck saying, come on back a little bit. And I'm like, is that all you've ever seen? Is that what grabbed you? That that's a fun and unique job, and that's what I want to do when I grow up. And I'm like, that is not what you want to do. That reminds me of that bit in the movie about Biggie, where he's in the classroom and the teacher asks him what he wants to be when he grows up, <laughs> and he says, "I want to be a trash man." He says, a "Trash man? Why do you want to be a trash man?" And he goes, "Well, <laughs> because it says that a trash man makes thirty thousand dollars, and it says that you make twenty six thousand, so I want to make more money than you. So yeah, I want to be a trash man." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So well, Dwayne Moore, you're here, and for anyone who doesn't know who you are, other than what we've talked about so far, 
Tell us a little bit about your background. Man, my background, I uh, grew up in a single-parent home in San Diego, California. Growing up in a single-parent home, it was instilled in me in an early age of work ethics. If you're ever going to have some son, there's two things that has to happen. You have to be a good steward of your life, and you got to go to work, and you got to go to work hard. you got to be consistent and persistent, show up every day, do it the same way, be so unique that you cannot be denied. And that's how I really thrived and prided myself in life. So growing up in Southern California, getting off in the sports, went through the rank. Played, you know, high school football, college football, bounced around a little bit in the pros. After leaving football, I got more off into wanting to be a figurehead in my community. You know, I, I understood that the way I was raised as a single, from a single parent, there was going to be other Dwayne Moores out there. And the one thing that really helped me as a young man was the coaches that God put in my life. You know, those coaches really helped. They was a model for me. Them was real men to help me understood, you know, what stewardship, you know, understanding what character, allowing my character to align, you know, with my vision and the things that I'm saying that I want to do in life. And so coming from football, got off into coaching. My background is political science. You know, my master's, of course, is in political science and urban development and economics. Went on to get my Ph.D. double. Well, I say double, triple Ph.D. One is honorarium Ph.D. from Enon Bible College, but went to upstate New York, Cornell University. Also went over to Berkeley. So I started, I got my master's over at Berkeley and finished there with my Ph.D. And so just a little bit about, you know, who I am today. It really started out just having the burning desire to go back and have a powerful impact on young men and women and help expose them to some things that they had not been exposed to. And, you know, if it wasn't for athletics, I don't know if I would have ever got exposed to some of the things that I got exposed to. You said you knew from a young age that you wanted to be a figurehead within your community. What did you see that some of these other kids that you work with maybe didn't see that made you realize you wanted to be a figurehead instead of a combat man? What I would say, Chase, is I had an individual, and I always talk about the power of mentorship. I had an individual named Paul Johnson who mentored me. Paul Johnson Jr. was a good friend of mine. And, you know, of course, his father became my mentor. And so I ended up leaving my community. Here it is. You're talking about, you know, I won't get my age, but you're talking about this is like, early 80s this early 80s here it is i'm a black kid being mentored by a caucasian man which was very strange in my community back then so i'm having to leave my community to be mentored by someone that don't look like me don't talk like me don't have the background is my uncles and my parents but the one thing i remember at 14 years old if you're gonna make it you got to be a good steward of your life. At this point, 14 years, I don't know what stewardship means, but now I have a mentor. The first day I remember him opening up a checking account at 14 years old. He opens me up a checking account at 14 years old. I go home and I tell my mom and my grandmother I got a checking account. They're like, unbelievable. You don't have a checking account, son. <laughs> like, there's no way. And I'm like, no, look, you know, I've been to the bank. You know, my mentor, we've been to the bank. He's opened a checking account up for me. We put $50 in this checking account. And my mom, I could just see the tears start to flow out of her eye. She said, you're the first person in our family that's ever opened up a checking account. Wow. At 14 years old. I got uncles, grown uncles still living at home with granny. And she's telling me, you're 14 and you're the first person in this family with a checking account. And I knew then I would have to leave my family. If I'm the first person at 14 years old with a checking account. So I had to leave my comfort. I had to leave 
what I was familiar with and, and, and only to, 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 to come back to start looking a little bit different. I'm not talking about years later. I'm talking about weeks later. You know, kids was like, man, you acting funny, Dwayne. Uh, no, I'm acting focused, man. I'm acting in a way of what my future has in store for me. And where you're trying to go, and, and some of the people I'm dealing with, they didn't even understand. They didn't even know where they was trying to go. And, and you said, man, 14 years old, you eighth grade. But that power of mentorship. This individual helping me understand this is where you at. This is where you're telling me you're trying to go. Now, this is what it takes to get there. And so me now knowing there's some other Dwayne Moores is out there. And the only thing that they can see and touch is what's in front of them. And if what's in front of them is not a good example, if it's not a good model, they really don't have nobody playing a role in their life. What did you say your mentor's name was again? Paul Johnson. Paul what do you think it was that made you willing to open up to him and let him into your life instead of saying, you know, this guy's different than me. I don't want to hear anything he has to say. What was it about him or what was it about you that made you receptive to that? Man, I'm, I'm going to be completely honest with you. Paul Jr. and I played ball together. Paul had asked me several times, hey, you want to come hang out at the house? I'm like, nah, man. I want to come hang out at the house. I'm starting in football. This guy barely made the team. You know, I'm hanging out with what we call the little stars on the football team. So one particular day, my mom tells me, she said, hey, she said, I can't come pick you up after practice. I'm like, oh, no, we got a two-a-days. So I'm like, that means I would have to walk home five miles, walk back to practice five miles, back out to practice. That's 15 miles out to two practices. That ain't happening, okay? So I got to figure this out. Paul Jr. comes up to me at the first practice. He said, hey, we got some stuff going on at the house, and we're going to lay out the pool. You want to just come over and eat? And I'm like, this is the perfect time. I get to go eat, get a ride there, get a ride back. from." So I'm like, this is perfect. Let's do it. Let's yeah, go. Let's do it. Sounds so fun. <laughs> we pull up in his subdivision, and the first thing I recognized was the gates. So I said, Paul, they're going to let us back out of here, right? He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, last time I went through Gates was to see my cousin in prison. This is what this looks like for me right now. At 14 years old, these look like the same Gates that we go visit Booney on the weekend. So are they going to let me back up out of here? He said, man, this is where we live. So I'm like, okay. So, you know, we go in the neighborhood. We pull up to this big monster of a house. And I'm like, wow, you guys live here? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, wow, okay. So we go in. I'm looking at the pool out back. I'm like, man, like, what does your father do for a living? Like, you got to live like this? Man, that's like the Galleria Mall. Yeah. I'm like, wow. <laughs> but what was impressing was when the food came out. When the food came out, I said, Paul, man, what's the occasion? He said, what do you mean, D? I said, what's the occasion? I'm like, man, when I eat like this, this is Christmas, this Easter, this Thanksgiving. What's the occasion? He said, D, we eat like this every day. I said, man, you guys eat like this every day? I'm like, hold on, bro. Like, you got, like, appetizer, salad. You got meat, two vegetables, and a dessert with sweet tea. That don't happen where I'm from. We're eating, like, pork and beans out of a can. Like, my mom is boiling hot dogs in a pot. We're drinking grape Kool-Aid, brother. I'm like, that ain't happening where I'm at. So I'm like, man, I need to talk to your father. 
So when I asked his father, like, man, how can I position myself that one day I can have stuff like this? So I was already open. Because I'm okay. like, man, I, this is the way I want to eat every day. When Paul tells me, like, this is how we eat every day, I'm sold. Yeah. I, I'm sold, bro. <laughs> Whatever. You didn't even know it was an option. I didn't even know it was an option. Like, literally, I'm sitting here thinking, like, man, I'm just being transparent and honest. Like, we're waiting on the first of the month to reload on food stamps. So where I come from, so I'm across the other tracks. Good food and good meals for me. It's like, man, it's the first of the month. Yeah. You know, we finna load up on some good stuff. But then as it get towards the middle of the month, as it get towards the end of the month, brother, you're down to like the the, the bottom slice we call. You you ain't went from like bologna and cheese to like bologna and the bottom slice of bread here. Right. You know, you went from nice, great sugary Kool-Aid to uh, we're low on sugar now. So now it just look like great water. And then I get exposed to this is how you eat every day. I want that life. Yeah, I'm listening. Yeah, I'm listening. When you talk about like stewardship, we didn't have Google then, brother, but I was asking questions like, what is stewardship? <laughs> yeah. Was there anyone in your family that was offering some sort of guidance as far as what you should do? Or were they recommending you go down a certain path? Or were they saying, you know, this might be a good job for you to get, you know, whether it be McDonald's? Like, was there anyone in your family that was recommending that you do something? Man, honestly, I'm going to say twofold. I had uncles and I had aunts that would always give the recommendation, you know, son, you either got to go to college or you got to go in the military. That's what you got to get out of here. Like, you know, when, when we looked at statistically how many young people from where I was raised up at that was getting killed in the streets, they, they weren't making it. It was either, you know, when you looked at the vision of the future, it was either how many of these guys going to prison, how many of them getting killed in the streets. So you got to get away from here. And so it was more the option probably going to be military for you. Hmm. Because now, you know, let's, let's look at statistically how many individuals are successful enough with a high enough core GPA, with a high enough test score to actually go to college. Most of the guys that I was exposed to was failing in high school, failing in So it's like you trying to go to USC, San Diego State, UCLA, that's not a possibility here. You're probably going to be in infantry in the Army or the Marine, you know, whatever that looks like. Or what does it look like? Go get you a job working, you know, in a factory or, you know, somebody warehouse. Some kind of steady paycheck. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I remember in high school, the messaging that we got, I went to Montevallo. The messaging that we got was, you got to go to college. If you don't go to college, you're screwed. You're not going to get any kind of job that pays anything. You, there's no, really no option if you don't go to college. That was what our counselors were telling us. That was kind of what my parents were telling me. And then something that I discovered later in life is that learning a trade is also a really, really good way to yeah, go, especially absolutely. if you get to where you're owning that company. You might own a, a, a company when have you have other electricians working for you. Are you familiar with Mike Rowe? Yep. He has a podcast that I enjoy, and he has a, a, an organization called Micro Works, okay. and it's where he will uh, sponsor students who want to go to a trade school and learn welding or plumbing or some kind of trade that we're always going to need, yeah. but something where high schools aren't necessarily recommending that that's a, a viable career option. So I think that's, that's great as well. But speaking of mentoring, 
who are some of the kids that you've worked with and what are some stories that might jump out at you from doing that? Man, you know, we, we've worked with so many different kids. I can go down the list of the ones that we've worked with that are now very successful. I always think to myself as I'm mentoring young men and women, am I going to push them hard enough? Or am I going to push them too hard? And when I ask myself that question, I always counter myself with push them hard enough for them to understand why you push them so hard, but never push them so hard that they won't invite you to their wedding. Yeah, yeah. Don't never push them so hard that when the baby is born, they don't send you a picture. That, <laughs> yeah. And so, because, because me understanding that I can never and never have played the victim mentality, I deal with a lot of kids that play the victim mentality. They always talk about the odds that are stacked up against them. And so I always give this example. If you got all this stacked up against me, that means I got to go harder to get through it. Right. So that means we got no time to play. You you just talk to me. Because I always, what I do is I always sit down and I, I draw this little old graph out for for our the, 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 the young people that we mentor. And now we find ourselves mentoring more than young people. We mentor grown people and business people. And so I always throw this graph. I always draw this graph out because what I want to do is I want to find out what's the four most important things in life for you. And, you know, and you'd be amazed, like, you always think someone's going to say God, and God, you live somewhere down at the bottom, and they start talking about either family or money and things like that. And so I always say, okay, let's go hard, because you just talked to me about, like, all this stuff in front of you, we got to bust through. And so I can remember a young man named Devin Porter, and Devin Porter came to me, I think at the time he was 15 years old. And I met him through his grandmother. His his mom was on drugs really bad. Never really knew his father. I'm like, okay, let me let me let me hang out with him a little bit. So the Be grandmother reached out. To reached you? out to okay. me. Reached out to me. And you know, I said, okay, let me let me hang out with him a little bit because before I accept the commitment, the responsibility of mentoring someone, I want to be able to hang out with him and see how we kind of jail together because there are some things that I'm picking up while I'm hanging out with you two or three times. And, and what I like to do is I like to kind of diversify the setting and, and diversify the setting. I get you in different elements. See where and you're comfortable. Absolutely. Yeah. And so with this young man, I noticed I would say things like, well, what, what kind of music you listen to? Because I said, you know, I'm, I'm picking him up. And I said, well, you know, I want to, I, I believe in, you know, the what they call the platinum rule. Give unto them that they desire of you. And I said, so we, I want to listen to what you listen to today. I said, it's all about you. And the first thing he tells me, go to Tupac Shakira, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, wait, man, every other word out of this. But I'm like, okay, I'm, you know, it's all about you. And so I'm just listening to the song and it's all shoot them up, F this, F that, B this, B that. I'm like, at 15 years old, this is what you're listening to? So you just told me something about you. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, so I tell him, I said, okay, we, we're going to go in this restaurant. And so we go in this restaurant, and I notice he's, he's kind of positioning himself kind of a little bit away from me, the way he don't want to make that eye-to-eye -eye contact with me as we have a conversation. He doesn't know me. I don't know him, but I could tell. It's very uncomfortable. So as I'm talking to him, he never looks me in the face. He's always kind of sideways turned to where it's like, He's over here, but he's talking to me. I'm thinking like, okay, checkbox again. I remember the second time we was out. I said, okay. I said, the day is all about me. We're going to listen to my music. And so I put some contemporary Christian music on. And he said, you listen to stuff like that? And I said, yeah, man, that's what I enjoy. And I said, what, you don't like this? And he said, man, that's, that's kind of weak. I'm like, okay, 
I said, you think it's weak? I said, let me ask you a question. I said, when you listen to the stuff that you listen to, I said, how does it add value to your life? I said, talk to me. I said, tangibly, how does it add value to your life? And he was like, they don't. I just like listening to it. I said, but what I'm listening to, I said, is actually the word of God, which is the application to my life. I said, so this is how I live. And so he's like, oh, I guess that makes sense. So you only listen to things that you can bring, that you can find value in. I said, man, I only listen. I only look and I only touch things that will bring value to my life. I said, I don't deal with liability. I said, so if you ain't adding value to do any more, you ain't in my circle. So he's like, okay. So this particular time we go eat. So I said, man, can you do me a favor? I said, real men look at each other in the eyes when they talking. I said, so I said, I want you to put that as a check in your box. I said, if you don't look a man in the eyes, then he thinks you're lesser than him. And so he said, really? And I said, yeah. I said, because the eyes and body language says a lot about the conversation. And he's like, no, it's never told me that. I said, that's the reason why I'm here with you. I said, man, you have a lot of upside. I said, you have a lot of potential. I said, but if you don't have no guides, pathways, and strategies in your life, you're probably not going too far. I got that young man to buy into mentorship. We end up working with him. He ended up graduating from Woodlawn High School. We end up getting him in uh, HBCU called Georgia State. I mean, graduated Georgia State with criminal justice degree. End up going up to Maryland, getting a job in Maryland with the police department there. Uh, I think it's Prince George County, called it PG County. So Prince George County there in Maryland, he ended up getting a job there working on the police force, held that job for about four years, became a city councilman there. And now he's over on Capitol Hill working for the Department of Defense. Wow. And so man, this what yeah, a come up. Yeah, exactly. That's amazing, <laughs> yeah. man. And, you know, they say that a smart man learns from his mistakes but a brilliant man learns from the mistakes of others. That's so right. it sounds like through mentorship, you're able to teach these kids about the mistakes that maybe you have made or yep. the mistakes that people you know have made. Absolutely. And they're having a chance to learn from the mistakes yep. of others because without that person in their life, they don't even get the opportunity to learn right. from someone else's mistakes. That's right. Absolutely. That's huge, man. That's so huge, valuable. huge. That's why I say we have a responsibility. How many times we castigate people and not knowing what's really down inside of those individuals, but we stereotype based off of what we see, but not understanding why is that kid the way he is? Why does that person act the way they act? Think about it, we've worked around people, and you're like, man, this guy has no moral ethics behind him. Like, but what is his foundation? We, we don't know. We can only judge the character that we see, but we don't understand the foundation of the character. 100%, and <laughs> I'm a firm believer that Whatever you put into your mental is going to affect how you feel, how you treat others. So I believe that people playing super violent video games, listening to music that romanticizes murder and, and everything else, watching movies that, you know, well, think about this. I think it was two years ago, pop culture canceled that Christmas song, Baby It's Cold Outside. Yeah, that's right. At remember. the same time, the most popular song in America was W.A.P., yeah. <laughs> so I think that society as a whole, just putting this stuff into our consciousness is not necessarily great for our happiness and for our future. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And and that's why even now, Chase, we have to be so careful what we allow 
you know, to come into whether it be our personal space, our professional space, our communities, our schools. And that's why we stand strong on, you know, when people ask me all the time, they're like, man, you know, you're always talking, you're always doing things, engaging, whether it be on media platforms or at schools. And, you know, and I always tell them because they ask questions about the foundation. Well, if the foundation of our country was built on biblical principles and if, if I grew up and things worked for me a certain way, then, yes, I can respect that the country and our society is forever evolving. But there still has to be a standard. There still has to be a standard. Like when I was a kid, you couldn't go steal out of a cookie store. You couldn't come go steal out of a candy store. So if we constantly evolving, why is there still a law? You couldn't rob banks when I was a kid. So here it is 30, 40 years later. Bank robbing is still a crime. Yeah. But look at how we falter on other principles. We allowing people just to do whatever they want to do, be whoever they want to be, but still robbing a bank gets you put in jail, right? <laughs> <laughs> that ain't evolving. <laughs> yeah, absolutely not, man. I just want to let you know something about Discover Birmingham's partner, Dr. Chase Horton Real Estate with EXP Realty. That's right, I'm talking about my business. Are you, or someone you know, considering buying or selling a home within the next six months? If so, let's chat. With their permission, simply send me their name and number and I'll reach out to talk about the best way to achieve their real estate goal. Whether they're a first-time home buyer or they're selling a home they've cherished for 30 years, I've got them covered. Simply text HOME to 205-213. 9720. More cash, more capital, and new customers for your business. That's where Moxie comes in. Moxie Birmingham is a growing community of small businesses helping one another thrive. As a Moxie member, you earn more revenue from brand new customers and even get a no interest, no payment line of credit, all within the Moxie network. As a Moxie member myself, I can tell you that I choose to support other businesses that also accept Moxie. In fact, I've discovered some of my very favorite restaurants, healthcare practitioners, and home and auto service businesses through Moxie. I'm talking Soho Social, Heavenly Donuts, Nothing But Cakes, just to name a few. Go to moxiebirmingham.com, that's M-O-X-E-Y-B-H-A-M.com to learn more. Moxie. It's the smarter way to barter. All right, now let's jump back into today's episode of the Discover Birmingham podcast and highlight the best parts of our awesome city. So I want to talk about the book that you've written recently. It's Salt on Purpose. Salt on Purpose. Tell us about that. Man, Salt on Purpose. This book is very dear to me. We're publishing five books right now. And this is the very first book of five, okay? Uh, we got another book that's coming out here real soon. Well, well, we have a devotional coming behind this book. But what this book, Matthew 5 and 13, Never Lose Your Flavor. And this is what this book speaks to, the, the citizenship of kingdom principles. If you are a God believer or you are a faith believer or the foundation of your life is based off any principles, this refines who you are and it becomes a constant revival of who you're supposed to be. And so when God inspired me to write this book, Chase, the first thing I started thinking about, who am I to myself? 
let's redefine who I am to myself, okay? But who I am to myself got to be built off who's the centerpiece of my foundation, which is Christ. So now let's take it a step forward. Who am I to my wife? Who am I to my kids? Who am I to my neighbors? Who am I to my community? Because most of us don't have those answers. Most of us don't have those answers. So now let's take that individual who can't answer those questions and let's just multiply him time another million around Alabama, another million around, 10 million around our country. And then now we see what we look like in the 80s, what we look like in the 90s. And we're like, oh my God, those was a good old day. But we still have the same cultures that's in the land today as we had in the good old days. But we have faltered away from principles. And so what this book becomes a constant reminder, God wakes us up every day on purpose. On purpose. I always talk about this. I say, if you look at the death calculator, every day on this planet Earth, two people die every second. That's 130 people per minute, 7,838 people per hour. That's 161,000 people per day. So we're living on purpose. So now can you walk and can you live out the full manifestation of your purpose? So I always ask people, how can you add value to your community? How can you add value to your neighborhood? Or are you just a taker? Are you a liability in your friend group? Yeah, are you a producer <laughs> or a consumer? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. That's why this book becomes a powerful piece because this book helps minister to an individual as a constant reminder. I believe this, and I keep it wholehearted to me, our constant companion is habit. That's your constant companion. You could be lazy. You could be slow. You can always be late. And your constant companion going to take you straight to the ground. You could be on time. You could be sharp. You can be consistent. That constant companion will take you all the way to the top. So your constant companion is habit. So the habits that you have, are they in line with where you're trying to go? Because most people only talk about what they're trying to do, but your actions always reveal to people exactly where you're going. And so that's what this book is about. So you got three doctorates. You're now an author. Yes, sir. A podcaster, <laughs> former pro and college yeah. football player. Yes, sir. Mentor, pastor. What else are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, right, man? That's what my uh, my wife is on vacation now with my grandkids, and they sent me some pictures. And so I told them, I said, well, that's why I do what I do. I said, you guys are my motivation. I said, when I see you guys smiling and playing and having fun at the beach, it inspires me to go a little bit harder. I do take this next season of my life to really be more diligent about spending much more quality family time. Me and my wife, we get a vacation a year, two vacations a year, and now we're grandfathering our kids into taking just the kids and the grandkids on vacation. So, you know, when most people ask me what's next for me, that's really the next season for me Family. is to really be able to live out, you know, who I am to my kids and my grandkids and, and get as much quality time as I can get with them. That's huge, man. Yeah. You know, it's only been within the last couple of years that I got married and first baby came less than a year ago. So it was only within that time that I realized that family's everything. Family's everything. You know, I, I've always been an achiever and I wanted to to do this and do this. And I'm finally at the point where I've realized that it all comes back to family. It all comes back to family. So what connection do you have to Montevallo? Funny story, talking about military and how military pushes out individuals. So my parents left Alabama in the 60s. If you think about the 19. 
early 1950s, 55s, we had the Great Migration. And so a lot of black people left the South for better jobs. And so the origin of moving out West was parents going to military. But when my mom lived in Alabama, she was raised in Montevallo. And so we would always come back to Montevallo. Montevallo is near and dear to me. Good friends, uh, Mayor Rusty Nix, uh, yeah. Montevallo, a city manager, Steve Gilbert. We have a, a really good relationship. We are actually working right now on a project to bring a community rec center to the city of Montevallo. I read about that. Yeah, That's yeah. Exciting, well, Dwayne Moore, we put all that together for them. That's huge, man. Montevallo needs something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. Do. Did you graduate high school or college there? Both. Both. So yeah. what year did you graduate high school there? 2004. Okay. And I was in college there until 2010 because I took two victory laps. Okay. 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 <laughs> <laughs> My mom worked at the university. And when you have a parent that works at that school, they give you free tuition. Yeah, that's so right. That's right. I didn't have a huge motivation to, to get out of there, you know? So I was <laughs> like, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll take 12 hours a semester, drop a class, take nine yeah. hours a semester. So yeah. I was able to stretch it as long as I possibly could. But yeah, I love Montevallo, man. My mom still lives right there by the campus and she's always, she's so active in the, in the town, man. She's in the garden club and she's in all these groups throughout the city and she's well known around Montevallo. We'll have to look at what friends we have in common, man. Yeah, absolutely. I know you from Lifetime. That's how I met yeah, you, but I bet right. we have a lot of friends in common. In absolutely. Absolutely. Man, Alabama is small within itself when it relates to connecting with people and, and then you connect with somebody that knows someone and Montevallo is even smaller. And so um, I, I always say when I'm there, now they got, I think, is it the Tavern Grill? Yeah. But when I used to go there, when Mayor Holly Cost was the mayor, I think they only had a Jack's and a KLC. That's about it. <laughs> hey, and now, a they, now they got a Taco Bell, though, <laughs> yeah. so they exactly. Yeah, they're moving on up. So, yeah, we definitely would have to talk about, you know, the people, because especially like at Lifetime, Lifetime is almost like a little community itself. Yeah. I was talking to one of the nurses on yesterday that's moving over to Atlanta to, to take a job at Emory there, and she's like, the one, the one most thing I'm going to miss about this area is my gym. She's like, because I take spin class, I do a hit class there, I do a yoga class there, and she's like, it's really a part of my life. And I'm like, Have yeah. you ever taken any of those classes? Man, I've taken one of those, I think it was the heated yoga. I think it was the one. It's no joke. It's tough. It? Yeah. yeah. It's no joke. Yeah. They have a yoga class there that I'll go to every now and then. It's called restorative yoga. Okay. And it's where you hold all these positions for like three or four minutes each. And oh, it's wow. all on the floor. So it's just a deep, deep stretching class. You can just about fall asleep in there. <laughs> <laughs> it's great though, man. You'll yeah. stretch in ways you didn't know you could. Wow. I've been tempted to do um, ringside. What's that? Ringside. That's a young man named Thaddeus that teaches ringside. And they use one of the studio rooms, and it's kind of heated as well. But the one time I went in, I was like, is this, this a boxing core class, or is this just a core class? I mean, everything was core-related. And I was like, man, but after about the first five minutes, my core was on fire. Yeah. I was like, whoa, I might should have took this class. Um, so I, I've been thinking about doing some spin class. I've been thinking about getting a spin schedule. That's one thing that I'll weave in a couple times a week is I'll just go jump on one of those spin bikes they have in the middle there and just do sprints on the spin bike. So just go all out for 30 seconds, cruise for 30 seconds, maybe yep. a minute, depending on how tired I am. That's been so good for the cardio, man. It just, it's just enough twice, maybe three times a week to keep your cardio in check. But a real spin class, whew, yeah. I've only done a few of those, man, but they're serious. 
I hear very intense. Yeah, you'll, you'll hear him yelling in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lifetime has transitioned from when I first joined. It just seemed like it was kind of a quiet country club, and um, now they got classes going on where you got coaches as they coaching people to get ready for an NFL Super Bowl. Because I can hear them all over my, you know, my earpiece. I'm like, whoa, like what's going on over there? But um, yeah, and I think they do a big class outside. On Friday mornings, I forget what that class is called, but uh, oh my God, it's a large group. I mean, it's probably like 40, 50 people in that group. Yeah, well, outside yeah. right now would be like a sauna, man. Oh, yeah. Have you ever played uh, pickleball? Man, you know what? I've played pickleball a couple of times. My mentor, Jeremiah Castile, his wife, Jean Castile, is big on pickleball. Yeah. And so every time we're at their house, we play pickleball. I didn't realize there were so many rules in pickleball. Yeah, there's a lot of rules. Yeah, I haven't played much, but I know they have a class at Lifetime they meet, I think, on Wednesday afternoons. I haven't gone to that one yet, but we do have a court here in the neighborhood that I've been to with my buddy Chewy. And um, another guy that I'm playing with soon, have you ever been to Bumper Nets in the Galleria? Yeah. Ping Pong store? The guy that owns that is named Homer, and he has gold medals and world records in ping pong. Really? Yeah, he's like 70, 75 years old. Wow. And he has the world record for the most appearances in the U.S. Open for ping pong. Wow. Gold medals he played in China. Wow. But I'm afraid to get on the court against him, man, because I'm sure that some of those paddle skills translate. <laughs> to to translate. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? I know. <laughs> I know. I, I have a grand respect for ping pong, pickle. I'll tell you what. I have a grand respect for bowlers because, like, you know, it, as much as you want to go out and bowl and think you can bowl a perfect score, the ball never comes out your hand the right way. I see guys that can spin the ball. And I'm thinking like, man, there's just so much technique that comes behind it. And you would never recognize a bowler out as no, an athlete. Never. You know, they they could be the guy you're drinking buddy at the bar and it's you like would know they could be the the world's best bowler. Yeah, because yeah, it's all technique. Or is, no. I guess what, ninety five percent technique? Oh, absolutely. It's like it's like a skin, like golfing. Like, I mean, you can see a sixty year old guy hit the ball three hundred yards. You can see a guy that's like five, six, one fifty, you know, hit the ball. 350 yards, and then you get this monstrous-looking guy, he going to hit the ball 100 yards. You're like, what? I'm thinking he, if that guy can hit it 350, he should be able to hit it 550. Yeah, you play some <laughs> golf, don't you? Yeah, I play golf a lot. You do? Yeah, not as much as I used to, but I still play. You I have play a, a favorite bit. course to play around the area? Uh, My favorite course would be Greystone Founders. Um, I love Greystone Founders. I've kind of fallen in love with Oak Mount. Yeah. You know, I've, I've kind of fallen in love with Oak Mount. It's, it's a flat course. You can walk it. It's not hilly. And so, you know, sometimes I like either early in the morning getting out on the golf course or I love that it's very peaceful. Or I bring it in in the afternoons where I may go out to Oak Mount 445 and play until it get dark. Very peaceful being back in the woods. So I kind of like that layout. Me, I know a lot of people is in the – you know, the big country clubs like Old Overton is really nice. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, Pine Tree is really nice. River Chase Country Club is really nice. But I'm sort of kind of like if I like a track in golf, I, I want to play that track. Yeah. You know, because I can I, – it's easy for me to envision like myself. Like it's crazy because I, I, I love golf so much. If I'm going to play Oak Mountain or Greystone the next day, I'll start envisionalizing, okay, like, okay, hole one, I need to hit the ball far left by 250 yards and I can bring it in on the right side. Yeah. So, But if, if it's a course I don't like, I don't put that much into it. Yeah, yeah. 
we ought to hit River Chase soon. They're they're redoing the greens right now and some of the tee boxes. As soon as they finish that renovation, let's go hit it. Yes, yes. It's, it's been a while since I played over there. Yeah, so. it's a pretty course. You know, a couple of holes where you're hitting over the Cahaba, and uh, there are three lakes. So it's a, it's a pretty scenic course. So when you're visualizing, was that something that you learned from playing pro sports? Playing sports, man. Even I think from college, you always hear this term, envision what you want to play like. You know, take a relentless approach, lock the gate. And and that was more or less like, okay, the opponent has to come in my gate. And I'm not done until I'm completed with you. And so I always, you know, playing on the defense side of the ball, I always envision breaking down how I would take angles, you know, with my shoulder landing the numbers, would I wrap up and drive through my hips. So you know, I'm in visualizing that the whole time. So now, you know, the game is going and I'm like, okay, perfect angle. This is just how I want it to happen. You know, I can catch him on, on with my left shoulder, putting my left shoulder in his numbers, wrap, because I'm coming in like a helicopter. I'm wrapping, I'm driving through my heels. So, and a lot of times, you know, we in athletics, I don't think we speak that enough to athletes, the mental side of it the visualization side of it and we just train them physically and we like okay what's the mental prep look like yeah because 99 percent of athletes that we see fail is never physically is always mentally and that could go all back into the decision that you make on the field if you're not making sharp and crisp decisions on the field or the court are you making them in life yeah exactly because <laughs> i've read that your nervous system doesn't know the difference between a thought and an action absolutely so if you're thinking about doing something that's almost the same as practice absolutely way. absolutely and i guess that could translate over to other areas of your life right absolutely Do you visualize you know conversations or things or what what how have you used it in your life other than on the field playing sports have helped me transition into success in anything i do because that's my that's my mantra i, I think like okay you know i just got to Understand, number one, you know, what does it take to be successful in this arena? And I'm going to do my due diligence. I'm going to I'm going to study inside out, outside in to where I understand I'm going to look at who has done greatness in this arena. And I'm going to look at, you know, what did that plan look like for them? And so just the visualization of whatever I touch, whether it be politics, you know, when I came on board with Katie Britt, for U.S. Senate, Senator Katie Britt for U.S. Senate, that was the first thing I started thinking, okay, you know, we got 67 counties. We got 169 cities. We got to be in every county, every city. What does that look like? Yeah. Is that a stick in the mud sign? Is that a decal running through the city on the back of somebody's car? You know, what does that look like? And so you start envisioning all these tools that you bring together to bring a unit together. And so absolutely, and I think that's why more people – gravitate to athletes because they understand that that athlete was if, if he gained any success or if she gained any success in what she was doing in athletics that's the person i want because if, if i could take them transferring their energy and their ethics from sports into this business component or whatever that looks like yeah. we're gonna go because we're not gonna be we're not gonna be denied <laughs> yeah so it, it has helped tremendously it helped tremendously that that's why i always encourage parents Either put your kid in athletics or put them in Boy Scouts or put them in music because it creates discipline. And if as a child you're growing up with these levels of discipline, you're not going to play a guitar if you don't have no discipline. You're not going to play a piano if you don't have no discipline. You can't be a Boy Scout or a Girl Scout if you don't have no discipline. And so when you start placing them into these arenas, it helps them understand that 
if you're going to achieve, there's a work ethic that comes behind it. And so the mind game is much more important than anything. Because I was telling my running partner this morning, I said, man, I was hurting bad yesterday. And he said, really? He was like, I couldn't tell. Of course you could, because I'm not going to complain about it. I had a task before me. So I understood, okay, I know this track that we're running. I know how to make the adjustment going uphill. I know how to make the adjustment going downhill. I know how to, to make the adjustment with my breathing. So we finna go get this thing done. But I felt like crap. <laughs> you <see? laughs> reminded me of David Goggins over there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, I like Dave. Yeah, he's a beast, man. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think some might argue that he takes it a little too far. Yeah. But, hey, <laughs> whatever it takes. I mean, he. I think he's run so far that his body's basically shut down on him. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, he's a, definitely a motivational guy, and so are you. And I wanted yeah. to ask you about that. Number one, how do you stay motivated? And number two, do you listen to any people to seek inspiration from, you know, whether it be any podcasts or read any books or any resources that maybe you could recommend? Always have someone in front of you that is a model for you. We always say role models. I say they're models playing in a role. Always have somebody in front of you. Iron sharpens iron. And so always having someone in front of you that person in front of you needs to be an example and a model of what excellence or operating in the spirit of excellence looks like. And so that's key. That I'm talking, that's somebody you can reach out and touch. That's somebody you can reach out and touch. And then I'll always surround myself with influencers. You know, like you say, Dave Goggins, uh, Eric Thomas, Pastor Joel Osteen's, T.D. Jakes, you know, these are the type of individuals that I can glean from and not only just listen at what they're saying, but I can also allow, you know, Google context to insert me to look at what they're doing, even in their personal lives. And, you know, the one thing that I know I was listening to a thing on Oprah Winfrey the other day and Oprah Winfrey was saying, she said, hey, she said, if you ever see Oprah, she's going to be an all black, all red, all white all gray. And she said, the reason why, she said, I will not put my energy into what I'm aware of today. She said, no, the amount of energy that I have, I need to put that energy towards some things that's going to bring some gain for Oprah. It's not going to be in what I look like. Mm -hmm. So I just go all black. I, I don't have time to match up. So it's a funny story. So I go to Coach Saban. Coach Saban, like, hey, you see me? I'm always in the same practice sombrero. I'm always in the same khaki short. And he's like, I don't have time to be trying to figure out what I'm going to wear Monday to practice. That's bandwidth. Yeah, exactly. So, again, going back to reading, reading a book, um, man, what is the author's name? Uh, Die Empty. Um, Die Empty. Metaphorically speaking, that book is saying the most prominent place on earth is the cemetery. There's books over there that never was wrote. There were songs over there that never was sung. There's so much stuff that people allow to die with them. And it will never manifest. It never uh, come into fruition on earth. And so dying empty is understanding, okay, my purpose here on this earth and I always, Coach Brian, I love reading Vince Lombardi, Coach Brian. I love their quotes, but Coach Brian had the four-eye pillar. And the four-eye pillar was, and I, and I think Jeremiah Castile, his grandfather, also in the foundation of his foundation, the four-eye pillar invests. Coach Brian would always help those individuals understand the University of Alabama invested in you to be here. So if the University of Alabama has invested for you to be here, it creates a level for me to influence you. When I influence, when the University of Alabama invests and I influence, it brings on a level of impact that will inspire your life. And so I live by the four-eye pillar because I understand that, okay, whoever I put in front of me, they're investing. 
and I'm getting an influence and that inspires me for impact. I don't care how sharp an individual you think you may be. There's somebody else out there just a little bit sharper. Absolutely. Well, Dwayne, we got about a minute and a half. So tell people how they can find you for whatever it may be they want to seek you out for. What are some of the best ways for people to find you? Man, some of the best ways for people to find me, uh, we have two websites. One website look a little bit better than the other, so we're working on that one. Okay. <laughs> but we got www.dwaynemore, that's D-E-W-A-Y-N-E-M-O-O-R-E, impact.com so www.dwaynemoreimpact.com I will link to that in the show yeah. notes so if you're if you're listening to this on Apple or Spotify you can just scroll down and click on that link yes and the other website is just my name www.dwaynemore.org so you can even find me at www.dwaynemoreimpact.com or www.dwaynemore.org and so even with the book, Salt on Purpose, I highly encourage anybody to go grab this book. We are featured on Amazon. So Amazon, Amazon Prime, Barnes & Noble. Matter of fact, uh, July the 15th is a big serve day. So we've got a big serve day on July the 15th that starts about 10 a.m. that morning. We'll be serving with Church of the Highlands this year. At 2 o'clock, from 2 o'clock p.m. to 4 o'clock, we're doing a book signing and promo at Barnes & Noble at the Summit. Highway 280 at the summit. So we have a book signing there with Barnes & Noble. But you can also go to barnesandnoble.com and get the book already. You can also find the book on goodread.com as well as Strictly Books. So there's many ways of getting the book. That's huge, man. Well, yeah. hey, I'm feeling like I need to go for a workout right now. So. <laughs> it's been great talking to you, man. Absolutely, man. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, we'll get that golf soon. Man, let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah.